Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. All right, Seattle. Hey, Puget Sound. Welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and your commodore of cocktails. Hey, thanks for spending Saturday night with me right here on 570 KVI. It's Happy Hour Radio. And if you ever miss a show, um, check out our website. It's happyhourradio.net. We've got uh, 150 plus shows up there from Krug Champagne to, uh, uh, well, Kuma Liqueur, which is pretty exciting. I got my pal uh, Chet Holstein. He's back and still be here next week talking about his uh, cool turmeric liqueur that about a year ago we had him on on the show. And, um, of course, we're talking about wine, beer, cider, spirits, food, and events, and education from around the world. If you want to check out the world of that stuff, check out Holiday Wine Fest. It's coming out November 11th. It's over at the Seattle Center Exhibition Hall. And it's, uh, just like I said, it's a great tasting, a global celebration of all the best in the world of wine, beer, spirits, cider, more. Um, and food and artisan shopping, so you can get all your gifts over there. It's uh, two sessions. It's Saturday. It's going to be great. Um, and speaking of great, there's a great cat in, in the studio today. He's uh, one of my, um, someone who I admire very much, one of the mentors in this path of uh, becoming a sommelier. His name is uh, Rob Bigelow. He's currently here in Seattle area after um, a long hiatus in some place that had a lot of sun. Uh, he's a master sommelier, and he works as the director of education, I believe, for Chateau Saint Michel Estates. Uh, and Rob Bigelow, hey, welcome to Happy Hour. Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. I'm uh, happy to be here at Happy Hour for sure. <laughs> That's what makes this job fun, you know. It's a, we spend a little hour on Saturday night, uh, have some libations, and chat about um, you know what makes uh, this industry tick. So uh, you are a master sommelier now, but um, there was a time when you weren't. How did you get in the food and wine industry? Uh, well, uh, I grew up around food and wine. I, uh, I'm from the Bay Area, Oakland, uh, and uh, my dad was in the wine business, traveled to Europe quite a bit, so wine was always uh, part of our experience, right? Wine, uh, wine. It, he brought back a lot of European wine sensibilities from his travels. In Europe, wine's a food group, right, like bread. Kids drink wine, watered down, albeit, but uh, kids are asked to drink wine. So, you know, I just grew up around it, hour away from Napa Valley. We made wine at home, just been all wine all the time for me wow. since I was a kid. Brothers and sisters? A bunch. Really? Yeah. Did anyone help? Did we, were you stomping them by foot, those grapes? Or? Well, we had a little, uh, some, some rudimentary tools, a stemmer crusher and uh, a little basket press, uh, you know, and... You know, to make uh, to make wine, you need lots of hands on deck. So it was a it was a full family experience. Was that white sure. and red? And um, what's was it a blend? Was it a field blend or like some massal or? Typically, we'd make uh, like three barrels per year, uh, cab, zin, shard. Oh, right on. And we got you know, my dad had great contacts up in Napa, so we'd make. Uh, actually, we made a uh, 1986. Cabernet Sauvignon from Chateau Montalena. Uh, got, you know, row one in the estate. The only catch was that we had to pick the grapes. <laughs> I don't know how many grape, how much grape picking you've done, but uh, it is hard work. After about six minutes, you're like, uh, no thank you. Wow. 
and it takes uh, you know half a day to pick a ton of grapes. But well, uh, those are still considered American jobs, right? Uh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. But mu- much respect to those that do uh, bring in the fruit, and and proudly, in fact, the the wine is made in the vineyard. So it starts with the the vineyard on growing the wines, and then of course um, taking great care to to pick them. Um, so have you? Do you have a bottle or two of those wines in your cellar now, or? Uh, I don't have any of that 86 left. Uh, I did label some of our home wine, uh, you know, up the road for, uh, my wedding. And actually I used, uh, one of the home wines that we made when I was a little bit older as, uh, my calling card when I, uh, 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 step through the door of the Canlis restaurant here in Seattle looking for a job. Really? All right, well, let's transition there. So you're down in Oakland, California, and how did you find yourself up here to the Pacific Northwest? Well, uh, my now ex-wife uh, was a fifth-generation Seattle native. We met in San Francisco. Uh, she worked for Julian Serrano at uh, Massa's restaurant in the Hotel Vintage Court, wow. where I worked while I was going to school. Uh, short story long, we meet, we marry... Uh, we returned to the north eventually. Uh, I've got a teaching credential. I went to law school, but I couldn't find a job anywhere. So I defaulted to my restaurant roots and said, uh, "Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the Canlis. Been there with my in-laws and you know in past visits." Uh, why wouldn't I just go into the best restaurant in Seattle and see what they have shaken? Now, so, they were wearing kimonos at that time. Is that right? Yeah, they were. Well, I remember. Not when I walked through the door, uh, but <laughs> uh, I came through with this bottle of uh, Pinot Noir that I had made uh, from Rotor Estate Fruit in Anderson Valley. Wow. That was my calling card. Uh, gave uh, gave that over. Had a great conversation with uh, then GM Tom Arthur and Mr. Canlis himself. Tom Arthur. Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh and, uh, you know, they said, well, great talking to you, Rob, but we really don't have anything for you. And this was my big break into the wine business. The next day, the second sommelier at Canlis gave his notice. Wow. And I was the short list. So I had the job. And then six months later, Alan Yanagamachi, who was running the program, he left to go back to his sort of winemaking roots. And I was- Is into- that Alan uh, with his, up here in Tiger Mountain? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, he ran the Canlis program for, uh, I don't know, three, four years. Yanagamachi. Holy smokes. But, you know, a winemaker by trade. But yeah. Here I am, you know, running the Canlis wine program uh, <laughs> six months in. So I, it was. How many bottles were there? I mean, it's still the legacy of this wine list, of course, Grand Award Spectator winner for years. Um, was, it, was it established at that point? Uh, because 86, I was still in college drinking beer. Uh, me too. Uh, well, you know, Canlis always had the reputation as, you know, the the destination, occasion, spectacular restaurant in Seattle, and the wine program had the same reputation. But when uh, Mr. Canlis decided to uh, sort of revamp the restaurant in the middle 90s, uh, he charged me with uh, pursuing the Grand Award. Wow. So when I took over, I would say there were probably uh, 750 selections on the wine list. When we submitted for Grand Award in 1997, had it at about 1250. Wow. And uh, what percentage was Washington back then, you think? I'd go... 20 SKUs, 30 SKUs? No, uh, you know, it, it was really cool because that middle 90s period was... Uh, uh, a time when Washington wine really took off, and uh, you know, 
Uh, DeLille came on the scene. Quilcita already established, but you, you know, Woodward established, Leonetti established, Andrew Will coming on. So we were able to help uh, showcase and vanguard all of these spectacular emergent Washington growers. To answer your question, when we submitted for Grand Award in 97, the list was at least 50% Washington. Wow. Wow. That's great. That's that's a, a testament to the quality of Washington wine because you you, you can't just be a homer. You you got to have the goods because people want to taste taste and eat well. For sure, and you know the 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 sense there was before it was kind of hip, I guess, at Canlis. It was kind of you know uh, grow local, go local. All a lot of the food was local, and a lot of the wines were local too. Of course, we had. Baller wines from everywhere else, sure. California, France, Italy, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, we did a lot of great events focusing on Washington winemakers. I remember one in particular, we did a 20 vintage or 20 year Quill Cedar Creek retrospective. Not 20 vintages, but like 12 inches over a 20 year period. Um, that was a lot of fun. Wow, sure. yeah, and uh, what a great family. To have the families of Washington Wine here, uh, the Figgins family and the, the Smalls and uh, um, Camardas and, of course, uh, the Galitzin family. Um, you established that program, and uh, were there people looking for other opportunity for, for someone like you, or did you say, you know what, this is a pinnacle, Seattle's still pretty small, there's some other grapes to harvest somewhere else, or what was your next step? Well, great question. I... Uh you know, after winning the Spectator Grand Award, which is the highest honor in restaurant wine list, uh, I, you know, annually there are about 75 restaurants that maintain, maybe 80 that maintain this Grand Award. You know, new ones come in every year and other ones get kicked out. You right. got to be careful. So once uh, we won the Grand Award there, I'm like, okay, uh, what other uh, measures of a wine professional are there? And Okay, what's this Master Sommelier deal all about? So I'll I'll take a look at this. I went down to Las Vegas and audited an advanced course, early advanced course, and I came away with one thought. I don't know much. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, so I got to work, put together a couple of uh, tasting groups here. My uh, good friend, uh, Andrew Virginia, now Bradbury, old Joe Maglino from back in the day. Joe. Uh, you know, past the intro, but Las Vegas was the spot at that point, burgeoning master sommelier, you know, scene. And uh, I got connected to uh, Jay James at the Bellagio, opening wine director MS there. And there were three other advanced sommeliers working at Bellagio Paolo Barbieri, uh, Robert Smith, Caleb Dial. Hmm. So I'm like, you know, it might not be a bad idea to move to Las Vegas. Work at the Bellagio, you know, little <laughs> motel out there in the <laughs> Mojave Desert. Uh, By the hour. And you've got a built-in study group with these other three cats uh, pursuing the advanced. So we got after it there for sure. And, um, you know, three out of four of us passed the test eventually. We're master sommeliers now. That's, that's congr- congratulations to that. What year is this, 02? I passed... Uh, Let's see, when did I pass the master sommelier exam? <laughs> 3.45 p.m., February 28th, 2002. 2002. Excellent. I remember that year. Um, and we are blessed to have a great wine community here with several master sommeliers, such as yourself. And um, you were the second from this neck of the woods. Is that correct? 
Uh, yes, the the uh, superhero of sommeliers, Mr. Pallet, the man, Larry Stone, uh, led the way. Uh, and, you know, shortly after me, uh, Shane Bjornholm, who uh, succeeded me as wine director at Canlis, he passed as well. Uh, we just had, uh, just today, seven new master sommeliers pass through, including... Uh, one of our own local uh, Jackson Rohrbaugh. So we've got another. Also a Canlis. Well, current current Canlis uh, team member. Right. And so that gives us, I believe, seven master sommeliers uh, residing here in Seattle. And, Chris, I would be remiss not to mention, I don't know how much you uh, you promote this, but you yourself are an advanced sommelier, which is serious business, right? Thank you. And um, I I have... I have decided to pursue that track, um, although it's so daunting, especially when you're like, gosh, these, these young guys, <laughs> all the brain cells. But um, there's nothing like experience over the course of your lifetime to help fortify that, that real honest education that you have when you be a sommelier because it's about taking care of people, and that comes from the trials and tribulations and, of course, traveling and, and tasting wine and seeing the soil kick in the dirt. Well, working at Bellagio while preparing for the test was unbelievable preparation. Every night, practicing service at the highest levels yeah. in both Chirco and Le Cirque, as well as tasting wines nightly, you know, the best wines in the world every night. It was it was uh, a great environment to prepare for and uh, excel at the test. And so you rose to not only the Master Sommelier, but you came an executive with Bellagio, right? Uh I uh, ascended to wine director at Bellagio, so I was uh, in charge of the entire program there, which means that uh, you know every wine decision for uh, the entire resort, 4,000 rooms, 32 food and beverage outlets, 16 sommeliers uh, under my charge, uh, all that stuff came across my desk. Chris, guess how much wine we sold at Bellagio in 2007 in terms of retail dollars? Well, I'm going to hold on to that thought. We're going to tease our listeners Let's when we tease come them. back from this break. We're going to chat more with uh, Master Sommelier Rob Bigelow. He's uh, working with Shadow Saint Michel here in, uh, of course, Woodenville, Washington, chatting about his life, his journey to uh, to the pinnacle of our profession. And uh, you'll hear more about that, and especially the uh, the wine sales in Bellagio in 2007, right here on Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. John Carlson, live and local, 6 to 10 a.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. You're in the know with KVI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle, welcome back. Time for segment two, and I've got two tasty glasses of wine in front of me. I know they're tasty because that's what sommeliers do. We can just see into the glass and and know all that stuff. Uh, and I'm sitting across uh, from one of the, the greats in our industry, Rob Bigelow, Master Sommelier. Um, he was uh, elevated to the wine director for the Bellagio property. It was 32 food and beverage outlets, 4,000 rooms. And uh, the question was, what was the total value of wine sold at Bellagio in 2007? So, 2007, 4,000 rooms, you figure 95% occupancy. 94, good call. <laughs> 94. Uh, and all the comp drinks, are not included, right? Right, so um, I'm thinking you did ten million dollars worth of in, uh, business. 
That's low. Uh, but we're talking retail dollars, and this also includes uh, the catering and banquet operation, okay. night, nightclub, et cetera, et cetera. $30 million. Uh, keep going. Oh, geez. Now, don't go to like a billion. No. People often go that far. It's a huge number. Uh, <laughs> $45 million. $70 million. $70 under million. One roof. Wow. Which means that I bought somewhere between 20 and $21 million every one decision crossed my desk. Oh my goodness! Now is that just the you had to sign it RS, boom, and there it goes? Or did you demand these these who you're dealing with the vice presidents of these companies, right? You're not dealing with the local rep, are they? Knocking on your door? Well, uh, sorry, I'm late, Mister Bigelow. My door was open to all, right? Uh, yeah. Come one, come all. It was known that uh, I conducted my business uh, based on getting the best price for my guests, passing some of that service, that uh, savings along to them, and obviously keeping the, uh, the business healthy. So that, <laughs> Vitality. <laughs> that helped me, uh, helped me keep my job for sure. But, um, you know, we dropped wine costs like five points over four years. Uh, it was really a lot of fun. From there, I had this... Uh, a uh, romantic notion that I had missed something by not opening Bellagio. Oh. So Aria Resort and Casino was uh, on the horizon. Is Jay James made it look so easy? Uh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. But, you know, just the specter of opening uh, from the ground up another 4,000-room, 32-food and beverage outlet place. Uh, so I allowed myself to be talked into going across the street and opening Aria. Still in the same company, MGM mm-hmm. Resorts. Chris, this was, in fact, a romantic notion. <laughs> uh, so, great experience, but I wouldn't want to do it again. Yeah, here, opening a restaurant is, is, is stressful, and yet you're opening something with so much more complexity. Uh, and then also, you have to train staff, right? And that's a huge proposition. Not only hiring new staff, but training them. Not just the uh, sommelier team, but uh, obviously all of the servers uh, across the yard. So... Uh, that was a great experience opening Aria for sure. Uh, you know, every the whole place opened at the same time, eleven fifty nine p.m. on like December nineteenth, two thousand nine. Also, we're at the bottom of the uh, the crisis, the economic crisis right. at that point, so that made it difficult. But it was cool. I you wore know. a hard hat. Uh, I still have my hard hat yeah. with all my stickers and uh, my uh, my bright green vest. As well, so oh, fun! That was fun, but I had to get out of Las Vegas, man. Yeah, I mean that's the last time I saw you in Vegas was uh, before you took the job here, and you gave me some great advice, Mr. Chan. You should probably leave the room before you fall over. Uh, well, you know, at your service, basically. Oh uh, yeah, looking out, looking out for what, my homie. That's right. When I passed uh, advanced, I was uh, feeling no pain and having a great time. All those rusty nails. Um, so here we are. Now you have a new role. Back to the Pacific Northwest. Back to you, uh, the stomping grounds. Um, what uh, What's your new role here? Well, I've been in it for almost five years. Uh, I have uh, a daughter, Frances Lorraine Bigelow, and the idea was for her to. Uh, See Not rain. A, well, <laughs> yes. Uh, she was actually born here, but moved to Las Vegas when we were five months old. Uh, but uh, didn't want her to go to high school in Las Vegas. The idea of what what a woman is, et cetera, et cetera, in Las Vegas is not awesome. Uh, so I, I started planning my, you know, always great to leave someplace, especially Las Vegas, on your own terms. Yeah. Well, Many people don't. Right. It's uh, brutal there for sure. Uh, so I began conversations with St. Michelle Wine Estates. 
uh, plotting my exit strategy and my return to the Northwest with uh, my then wife and daughter. Um, so I have been in this role at uh, St. Michelle Wine Estates. I office at the Chateau. I'm the director of education and uh, on-premise development. So, so you travel the country, right? You're doing some on-premise development and also sharing the story of Washington Wines and uh, San Michel uh, with the uh, properties across the, the country? I'm everything to everybody. And, uh, <laughs> you know, one of the faces of uh, uh, not only Chateau St. Michel, but all of our other spectacular brands. Uh, and conveniently, I brought along some uh, spectacular Washington wines with me today. Thank goodness. This wouldn't be happy hour unless we had something to be happy about. And uh, let's talk about Washington wine. Washington wine uh, really found its roots commercially in the last 50 years because somebody has a 50th anniversary, a birthday going on right now. Is that right? Hey, well, thank you so much for mentioning that. Uh, <laughs> we are celebrating uh, right now this year the 50th anniversary of Chateau St. Michel. Washington's first and founding winery and continuing uh, champion of all things Washington. Uh, you know, we advocate for Chateau St. Michel, but uh, we advocate for the greatness of Washington almost equally, and, all, and if not more so. I mean, in Washington State, we have perfection in growing conditions for grapes, right? Across the Cascades, Everything's perfect for grapes. Grapes love it. They're hot during the day, cool at night, cools way down at night. The mighty Columbia River, uh, extended growing season, a couple more hours per day of sunlight at the height of the growing season over, say, Napa Valley. Uh, land is plentiful and affordable, so we're able to um, you know, provide wines with an unbelievable quality-to-value ratio, right? High, high-quality at extreme value. And a great uh, Washington wine IQ in our winemaking and growing. We've got Washington State University and Walla Walla Community College and South Seattle College and Central Washington University and um, Yakima Valley College. So we even have the academic side of this, which has really fortified our industry because having Washington State researchers help figure out which plants work best, which vines work great, which pests and which clones and things like that has really helped our industry as well. Well, uh, for sure, you know, go all the way back to Prohibition, right? That um, During Prohibition, you could, by law, make a couple hundred gallons of quote-unquote sacramental wine. Uh, a lot of people in Washington jumped on that. Uh, so we have, from that, uh, a real uh, home winemaking tradition here grew and just sort of burgeoned to, you know, what we have going on today to, you know, as you say, at Washington State, there's now the Washington State Wine Science Center, which, I don't know if you've toured that facility. I haven't yet. i got to get out there. Spectacular. I mean, it, it is the UC Davis of the North, for sure. Very uh, exciting. Yeah, su super, super exciting. And great heritage, too, because we had Frenchtown in Walla Walla. We've got the Italian immigrants. And so everyone had this winemaking, agricultural, farmsteading kind of background. And here we are 50 years later uh, with a host of world-class wines to feature more 90-point wines uh, in Washington State than anywhere else in the world. Don't you make a little wine yourself, Chris? I do make a little wine. Uh, but it's grown in the vineyard, yeah, it's uh, good. But we're here to talk about... Um, oh, come on, man. That rosé is spectacular. Thank you very much. All yeah, right. I was really pleased. Uh, coral wines, rosé, pink coral. Great with Thanksgiving. Uh, you brought some wines. You brought some red wines. What's the first one we have to taste? Uh, we have the 14 Hands Run Wild. It's the latest entry into... Uh, 
the lineup of red blends from 14 hands uh you know the flagship uh, is the 14 hands hot to trot this uh red blend category is wildly popular with consumers right uh basically you're able to take uh the best of washington fruit and let the winemaker uh practice his supercraft of blending Right, so you take some Syrah, some Merlot, some Cabernet Sauvignon. You experiment with it on the bench, blend it together in proportions until you get a delicious blend. The uh, the Run Wild fits in. So there are three main red blends in the fourteen hands. Uh, uh, hot to trot. Hot to trot is right in the middle. Um, Stampede uh, mm. is a little a little drier, a little more formidable, and then the Run Wild uh, is the juicy entrant. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a lot of these uh, red blends, not of great quality. I guess I can just go ahead and say that that are sort of lead the category, the Apothics and others. Oh yeah, I mean, California. But people do like them. They are super, super cloyingly sweet. Yeah, really sweet and smooth and just unctuous, but um, drinkable. Uh, so Run, Run Wild uh, is a, a a juicier version of Hot to Trot. Not so much oak, just yummy, delicious, unbelievably drinkable, and uh, you know, cool label. The fourteen hands uh, about horse horses. Theme, yeah, about horses. About those. Small Mustangs that uh, roam the... Uh, or Seven Hills. Exactly. <laughs> what a cool name for an ABA. But just uh, Syrah-based, fully approachable, ready to go, 10 bucks ish Oh, wow. Great for Thanksgiving, great yeah. for Christmas, great for, uh, you know... Yeah, it's a, it's hot a dogs starter wine and, and a finisher wine because it, it's this smooth. It has complexity. Um, it, it has just that ripeness of fruit, uh, juicy acidity, and the tannin is, is mildly... And you get got hints of sweet oak, which... Just makes it an um factor, kind of like uh, grandma's cookies. Balanced. Balanced. Yum, yummy. Drinkable. <laughs> yeah. We have three more wines here. It's chatting with uh, Rob Bigelow, Master Sommelier, and the Director of Wine Education and On-Premise uh, Development for St. Michelle Wine Estates. So stick around, folks. Be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Big names, big news. Sean Hannity, weekdays 3 to 6 p.m., Talk Radio 570, KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Now back to Seattle, Somalia, Christopher Chan. All right, happy Saturday night, Seattle. Time for round three. I hope you're on your way to someplace delicious or uh, cooking something good at home. I got three glasses of wine. And uh, so does my partner here, Rob Bigelow, Master Sommelier, the Director of Wine Education and uh, On-Premise Development for St. Michelle Wine Estates. We just uh, had a beautiful entree. It was called the uh, Run Wild. It's a, a blend from uh, 14 Hands Winery, which is in Prosser. Uh, delicious, a great blend, um, smooth, juicy, easy to drink. Um, and you said $10? Yeah, uh, even less than that uh, in some places. Wow. Yeah, you buy six, you get 10%. I know that's Safeway thing. Uh, total wine, it's available because you guys make uh, a good portion of that wine, and you share it with Washington. Um, you also have a label here called uh, H3. That was, uh, we just mentioned something about three H's. Yeah, Indeed. So uh, we're moving over now to the Columbia Crest Winery. Uh, so you might be familiar with the... Um, uh, the baseline of those wines, and the, those are the Grand Estates, and then sort of the upper tier 
uh, is the H3, Columbia Crest H3, which stands for Horse Seven Hills. So the Columbia Crest Grand Estates comes from Columbia Valley, the Appalachian. Smaller and more finite within that is the Horse Seven Hills, where Columbia Crest Winery is. And we've got here on the table in front of us the Merlot today, one of Washington's real superstar varietals. Where does Merlot thrive? Well, the right bank of Bordeaux, Washington State. Uh, you know, we even use Cabernet Sauvignon sometimes to soften Merlot. Can wow. You wrap that's, your head around that. That's a little right? backwards. So at full expression in these great Washington State growing conditions, Merlot uh, is just just beautiful. Red fruit, black fruit. Uh, tannins are, uh, you know, significant but resolved. Yeah. And firm and supple. Firm and supple. And, you know, the problem with the Columbia Crest and the H3 wines, the the quality is so high, they're underpriced. People don't realize what a great bargain these right. wines are. They're made in, you know, they're made like they're $50 bottles. Everything's barreled, every, you know, the the highest quality fruit, et cetera, et cetera. And, Chris, this is just a spectacular example it's of Washington State Merlot. Absolutely delicious. Um and it's great because we still suffer. There's remnants of that uh, sideways hurricane <laughs> wiped out Merlot entirely. Ten years ago. I yeah. know, ten years ago. And I was like at 06. So um, here we are where we can now appreciate as the wine consumer has been um, further educated and more adventurous. And there's more wine, people drinking and, and just trying. Um, this is going to be back because it's so good. It's so yummy. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with yummy. I think it's a lot of times we, we, we search for something. And I say, God, wine's got to have a... Mm factor. That's all you have to have mm factor to begin with, and you can start worrying about the other stuff. I use that descriptor a lot. Yummy. Yummy. For sure. I mean, this one, it's just, there's just a core of ripe red fruit coming up through the center, but then it's bracketed nicely with, uh, you know, a tannic frame, an acidic frame, right? You, mm-hmm. you yourself are sort of uh, smacking with deliciousness after you taste it, right? That acid just cleans everything up. And it makes you want to rinse and repeat. Just have Absolutely. another have another sip. That's the so. hallmark of a great wine. You can taste it, and then wow. you want to taste it again. Um, delicious. So H3 is in that $15 range or 20 Where are we at? Yeah, 15 to 17 Okay. Uh, uh, unbelievable value. It's, yeah. It's a $30 bottle. So we can we can believe that this will be on the uh, the core list for the Guild of Sommiers, the Court of Master Sommiers, as, as one of our uh, classic grapes someday. Indeed, All right. a perfect example of Merlot, the, you know, spectacular Merlot from here in Washington. State. Yeah, and uh, by the way, folks, Merlot is actually the number one red planted grape in all of Bordeaux. So don't think that it's uh, just, you know, uh, a part timer. It's certainly a, a beautiful blending partner, but it stands on its own as exampled here. You have another wine here, which you decided to pour in this beautiful goblet. Um, this is a Cabernet with a very interesting history, a story behind it. Uh, interesting story and uh, history as well. This is the intrinsic Cabernet Sauvignon, um, made by Juan Munoz Oca, who is the uh, head winemaker at uh, Columbia Crest. You might think that Columbia Crest is just a, a a big, huge winery and nothing else, but Juan is an evil genius who has uh, <laughs> uh, lots of different uh, uh, side projects or you know cool things that he likes to do. So the intrinsic. Juan's idea was, it's Cabernet Sauvignon, he let half of the grapes left the wine on the skins for almost nine months. 
kind of a gestation period something like that you're like <laughs> wow you know and he didn't uh, he was slightly secretive about that as well because oh. most people would say what the hell are you doing Mark? that's right what is the deal but there's this magic uh long chain chemistry that occurs uh, when you leave uh, wine on the skins, after about 60 days, the wine is undrinkable. Peel the enamel off of your teeth. Bitter and tannic. Oh, and- it's disgusting, basically. Mm-hmm. But then this uh, long chain evolution begins to occur, occur where all those polyphenols are reabsorbed back into the wine. The fruit mellows. The tannins are just... Uh, supple and long and what you get is an unbelievably complex approachable spectacular glass of Cabernet Sauvignon you've probably seen the label in the store uh, we work with Brooklyn street artist Zimmer oh, who's wow. not quite Banksy but uh, right there for sure um, and uh spectacular uh image of a woman in a dress that's actual like, it's black and red art. and white and it's got a very uh perfect kind of color scheme for the halloween thing we've got coming and if you look very closely you can see zimmer within there but uh this mm. is genius in a glass and washington cabernet at at its very very best but because of this unique process that juan puts it through it's soft drinkable um you know, complex, nuanced, and pretty damn good. Yeah, know? it's uh, it's 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 got great flavor. It's it's true to the the, the rich core of you know dark fruits, little cassis, hints of just hints of herb and tobacco. Um, you certainly have a, a good dollop of that toasty oak, which I think helps adds that sort of that vanilla and ice cream to berries. Is how I like to put it, uh, and we all love ice cream and berries. It seems, or just me, but it's great. Uh, in this I'm with wine. you. Okay, um, interesting. I know that there's a there was a French winery or a wine from France that actually spent two years in a barrel with the skins, and I was like, I mean, it was crazy. It's called Girolat, and it's it was kind of some rare wine, but that's this is the second uh, iteration of that kind of process. Obviously, it's a chemistry um, uh, equation, but it turns out, and I guess the toughest part would be keeping that wine healthy in the barrel for that long, right? Uh, well, it's not uh, not barreled. He kept it in tank. Mm. Kept it in tank okay. so that it could, uh, you know, wouldn't oxidize or uh, yeah, it would have layer of inert, inert basically uh, trapped. But uh, you know, just under twenty bucks for the intrinsic, and there is an intrinsic red blend coming as well. Her uh, her dress uh, will be red and blue. <laughs> it's uh, going to be Cabernet Franc and Malbec. Uh, Juan calls those two together peanut butter and jelly. Oh wow! Okay. Um, so look for that. It's uh, we've had was in on the blending and had some pre tastings, and uh, that is uh, coming soon and spectacular. It's very exciting for Washington State. Obviously, we've got uh, such fertile grounds and uh, hungry and ambitious, adventurous winemakers and wine growers. Dick Boucher for one, growing fifty different varieties. Uh, Washington is kind of a hotbed of uh, experimentation and inspiration. Would you agree? I would agree. Uh, Dick Boucher, who's our uh, vineyard man up at Col Solare, uh, you know, newly, uh, yeah, about a year now, right? Uh, no, actually, he's been uh, sort of on and behind the scenes from planting oh, until now. Okay. But, um, yeah, because we have these unbelievable, you know, this perfect storm of growing conditions, people are uh, appropriately experimenting with all sorts of things, you know. Uh, on both the red and the white spectrum. You know, Cabernet is still king, for sure. Uh, you know, in uh, 16, Cabernet plantings and tonnage up, up, up. 
Cabernet is king, but there's room also for, you know, these Rhone Varietals, Grenache, Mouved, Syrah, et cetera, et cetera, all spectacular. It's it's really yummy. Now, let's talk about Chateau Saint-Michel. Um, you have a host of different wineries under that umbrella, the Chateau Saint-Michel Wine Estates. You have uh, Columbia Crest. You have the H3 series, which is part of Columbia Crest. Uh, you have the 14 Hands, and, of course, the whole Saint-Michel line. But you also started some... Um, uh, what is it, uh, outreach programs with some Frenchies, right? Well, uh, all the wines that you mentioned, our partnership with Ernst uh, Lozen from the Mosul for Arroica, the Antonori's, Colsolare. Um, <laughs> Most recently. <laughs> yeah, well, that was 95, was the first vintage of Colsolare. We've got uh, North Star, um, Spring Valley Vineyard, uh, Erath Down Oregon, but uh, most recently, uh, two of the stars of the Southern Rhone, Philippe Camby, uh, the Michel Roland of uh, the Southern Rhone, and uh, Michel Gassier from Costier de Nîmes approached mm. us and said, hey, let's make some Syrah together. Because Syrah, I don't know, for my money, might be the one that uh, expresses best here in Washington State. So we got with them and uh, uh, made the Tenant line of wines, which include the Pundit Syrah, the Tenant uh, Grenache Syrah Mouved, and then Gassier's uh, Syrah from Coast de Nîmes called uh, Le Fervent. I love it. We've got one more wine, folks. Stick around with uh, Rob Bigelow, Master Sommelier, right here on Happy Hour Radio. He's back, and he's in charge. Kirby Wilbur, live and local, weekdays 9 to noon. Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI, want to know weekends. Time for another round of Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, folks. Hey, it's time for our fourth and final segment. Hope you had a great time tonight. I have. I've had four wines, or we're about to have our fourth wine with... uh, Master Sommelier Rob Bigelow with Chateau Saint-Michel Wine Estates, uh, the uh, Director of uh, Wine Education and On-Premise Development. We just tasted um, a yummy intrinsic Cabernet Sauvignon made by Juan Munoz Oca out of Columbia Crest. It's nine months on the skins and the stainless steel tank. Gobs of fruit, heaps of flavor, great balance, um, moderately complex because the fruit is just so nice and ripe, but it's uh, perfectly balanced. The final wine you brought for us today, Rob? Uh, well, I want to uh, talk about something you said on break about the intrinsic that, you know, this wine at $20-ish, uh, California can't do no, this. Right? Yeah, I did say that. Put a basic $50 Napa cab up against this? For uh, sure. And then I you're, don't know. yeah, then you're still like, gosh, maybe it's 55 <laughs> Right. Because is there much Napa cab under 50 or 55 There's not. And they don't get this kind of structure because they usually have to, it's too ripe and they have to add some acid. And I think that's what makes Washington wine so beautiful is that we don't have to manipulate it much to make it, to get that balance. And you're right. Natural is best. Well, unless so speaking of Cali, uh, wine number four that I brought today is the uh, Motto Unabashed. Zinfandel. Mm. Uh, you know, I grew up like an hour away from Napa Valley, and I like to say that I was weaned on Zin. Zin Zinfandel is one of the few grapes, along with Pinot Noir, that doesn't really prosper here in Washington State. That's okay. That's okay, right? We can't yeah. ha- we can't have it all. We can leave a couple of Man. things to California, but uh, this motto, unabashed Zinfandel, is just a, a perfect example wow. of some. You know, uh, some great California Zinfandel. This, again, is about a $10 bottle. I just love Zin, and this one has all the trappings of it for me. Uh, That berry, bramble, rich ripeness. 
you know, not overly cloyingly sweet and jammy, but just highly aromatic and, you know, clearly Zinfandel. Yes, very Zinfandel. It's got that spice, a little bit of bramble, and the, the mix of fruits, the red, blue, and black, purple. Um, unabashed, it's called Moto? Moto is the, Motto. Uh, the name of the line. There uh, There's a red blend and a Cabernet Sauvignon as well. Unabashed. Gung-ho is <laughs> the red blend, and uh, what is the Gung Cabernet Ho. Sauvignon? <laughs> yeah, gung gung ho is the red blend. So be okay. gung ho about Mato. It's uh, all know, right. Something for uh, let's see. Where would I where would I drink this? I would tailgate with this. Yes. wine. Seahawks Sunday. Well, maybe that might be unwashington like. Right. It would be unless we're playing at down at at L A, which we just were. Kicked their butts. That's what we did. That's good. Yeah, that was, that was good. And with the week off, hopefully we're gonna be all right. So the so the line again is Mato. Unabashed Zin, Gung Ho Red Blend, and Backbone Cabernet Sauvignon. So this is made in California by... All, all Cali. Now this is one of the new partners for Shadow Sammy Show. No, it's not a partner wine. We make it at one of our facilities. Oh. Uh, it's just, you know, there's a lot of spectacular um, opportunity in the $10 range. Is this... Uh, who just left Solari? Uh, Marcus Nataro. Marcus Nataro. No, he's the wine. He, he's upstream a little bit uh, as the winemaker at Stag's Leap Wine Cellars. Yes. Uh, thankfully, after the fires of last oh, week, right. Stag's Leap Wine Cellars is okay, but you know that's yeah. less the point than everybody else being okay. Some pretty horrible stuff going on down yeah, down in challenge. Napa. We just did a big wine fundraiser uh, last week, uh, Washington Wine Hearts Hearts Napa or California and Sonoma, um, and we raised a couple bucks. Uh, hopefully that'll continue. And uh, this has been great. As a sommelier, Rob, um, what's some advice? Some basic advice you'd give somebody who's just starting the ranks, a 22 year old who is a server now but wants to learn more about wine. Study, drink, tasting group, uh, the the most uh, spectacular educational resource for sommeliers in the business is the Guild of Sommeliers uh, website, guildsom.com. Uh, just to start, you know, it helps to work in a restaurant and be on the floor and be practicing the craft for sure, but uh, you got to start somewhere. I would uh, go after that Quartermaster Sommelier's introductory course. Uh, watch the Netflix documentary Psalm. That gives oh, yeah. you a real good idea as to what to do. People and still come up to me and say, I just saw that movie. Is that what you do? Like, yeah, kind of. It's changed a little bit, but it's, it's God, it looks crazy intense. Like, oh, it is. But it's, it's like the passion. Yeah, I, I recommend watching that for sure. And just, you know, get some books, get the Oxford Companion to wine. <laughs> just, uh, you know, let your intellectual curiosity flow. Uh, Toward wine, and you know, obviously, as sommeliers, we're not just wine. Like your show, it's you know, in a restaurant, you're responsible for all beverages, right? So right. we're expert on sake, coffee, tea, aperitifs, digestifs, you know, anything liquid, which yep. doesn't suck. Cider and beer. Uh, this certainly doesn't suck, uh, Rob Bigel. What a treat! Um, great to actually get you back in studio, or finally in studio. I know I've been teasing you forever. Um, thanks so much for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Chris, thank you. Hey, man, keep up the good work. This is a great show. I appreciate that. Hey, folks, you heard it right here uh, from the man himself. Uh, hey, join me at uh, Holiday Wine Fest. It's coming up uh, Saturday, November 11th. Uh, tickets are available at HolidayWineFest.com. And next week's show, uh, I've got my fr friend Chet Holstein. He's got this fantastic new liqueur called Kuma, and it's made from turmeric root, and we tasted it about a year ago, and now it's available. So uh, I'll see you here on the show. And remember, folks, life is always better with the dead designated driver. Cheers!